Kenny. We are back. Great to have him. Um, haven't spoke to him in a while. He's a fine provost of King University. We're talking Dr. David Birdsell. Nice enough to give us a couple of minutes on this uh, very busy Friday morning. Sir, how are you? How you been? All right? I'm doing really well, Jay. Great to be back here. Good having you. And uh, a lot is happening. Tell you, rail strike. You know, you talk about economic ruins, uh, what could have been the averting of a strike, Congress, the Senate, and so the president's desk. You know, that's all well and good. My point of contention, though, uh, David, because a lot of these unions did not like the goings-on here. Listen, it comes down to sick pay and everything else. Um, my biggest thing was, you know, this, this whole thing way back, Build Back Better, Infrastructure Bill, and everything else – why not put a couple of points in there as far as the rails? Because they're so important to this country and everything else. We know why. Uh, put the sick day provision in there, and and let's not get to the 11th hour as we nearly have had here. Well, it, it could have been done. Uh, one of the things that did not happen in Build Back Better, and this was largely the result of opposition in the Congress, uh, was for any money in that bill that did not, in fact, go to uh, brick-and-mortar, aluminum and steel spending. Uh, and it could have been, uh, but that was part of the negotiation that actually got that through the Congress at that time uh, because people were concerned about putting more money in the pockets of broad swaths of labor beyond what would obviously happen with job creation and the construction projects uh, themselves. But I could not agree more that our rail system is absolutely vital, uh, and we've seen it in so many different contexts, including... Uh, close to half a world away, uh, how vital the rail infrastructure has been for keeping Ukraine afloat uh, during this very, very challenging period in that country. Uh, we have less uh, catastrophic needs here, but moving goods and services around, uh, there's just no comparison for cost and low environmental impact uh, to the rail system that we have today and that we should always be interested in trying to strengthen both uh, freight primarily, but also passenger rail in densely populated areas of the country. Dodge the proverbial bullet there. You bring up Ukraine. The president has brought up Putin as far as a conversation. A fly in the wall, if you were, sir. What would that conversation pertain to? Uh, you know, we're almost 10 months into this war, and I've always said that a strong contingent of negotiation should have been in play already, uh, where the President of the United States, along others, uh, should have made their way there and somehow uh, get to Vladimir Putin and figure out some sort of a solution here. But at this point of time, would the President say? I have no idea, Jay, although my, I could speculate that what he would probably try to do uh, is to make uh, Vladimir Putin aware of how unified the West remains, which has been a remarkable uh, diplomatic achievement, unprecedented at any point uh, since the end of the Cold War and arguably since the end of World War II, because we are talking about hot conflict. Uh, and a great surprise to planners on both sides of this conflict. Uh, but it's been successful. Um, and I suspect that he also wants to get a sense uh, directly of uh, Putin's frame of mind. Uh, there are a number of people who have commented, obviously almost all of them from a great distance, uh, on uh, Putin's mental state. 
uh, how isolated he may be from sources of information that contradict the own, his own narratives about uh, what should happen and what is, in fact, happening on the ground. Uh, and this, you know, I, I, I don't have any expectation that such a thing might be successful, but it might be in persuading him to pay attention to external sources, much less Western external sources. Uh, but it could well be an opportunity to try to figure out his state of mind. Uh, the, the, the difficulty with the negotiated solution at this stage is how to avoid giving Russia at least a partial victory by uh, ceding uh, the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts uh, that they've occupied since 2014, uh, or the Crimean Peninsula, uh, to Russia, essentially rewarding them for their aggression, uh, even while forestalling aggression uh, in the other segments of Ukraine, something that the Ukrainians themselves are violently opposed to at, at this point in time for understandable reasons. The other question is, how good is uh, the man's word at this point, you do remember that right up until February 23rd, he was insisting that he had no intention of invading Ukraine. Uh, and what the Ukrainians are concerned about, again, very understandably, is that a, uh, a negotiated agreement is nothing more than a lull in the fighting so that they can replenish their now badly depleted forces, both in terms of personnel and in terms of munitions. So those are the major hurdles to get over. Um, and one other thing that the president and President Biden may be thinking about uh, with the possibility of a conversation, which he has said right now is a possibility that he's not willing to schedule. He's just beginning to float the idea, uh, is to see if Russia would be willing uh, to withdraw entirely from the territory of what had been Ukraine prior to 2014. Um, I can't imagine that, the, that Russia would be willing to do that, uh, but that may be something that he begins to explore in exchange for some kind of more rapid rehabilitation and return to good graces in the international economic community, because that's truly meaningful for a country that at this point is beginning uh, in a very serious and sustained way to feel the bite of sanctions and other uh, retaliatory actions on the part of the West against Russia for this invasion. It seems like an eternity ago when it all evolved around NATO and Ukraine joining them, and of course uh, Russia taking exception to that. It seems like an eternity ago. But if I was the president, I would emphasize the fact that we are going to keep training Ukrainian forces. We are going to keep feeding them the necessary weaponry. And we're not going to stop. So Vladimir... What is the end game here? What do you want? And I would emphasize the fact that you made your point. You have taken over territory. What more is there? More innocent lives to be lost, Mr. President Putin? What What is your end game? I mean, I would get down to the notes and bolts as far as that is concerned, David Burtzell. Uh, well, absolutely. And this is the way that a rational leader would look at that project. Uh, but we know, because he's written about it himself and published the papers, uh, that Vladimir Putin is committed to the restoration of a glorious Russian empire that he takes as his inspiration, uh, Tsar Peter the Great, uh, who started his Russian empire in Putin's own hometown of St. Petersburg. Um, and uh, that's that's the challenge, uh, that this, there's this uh, sort of... Uh, ethnicized, racialized notion of a, of, of a great Russian dominion that should be the rightful imperial, and they use that word, 
uh, imperial power uh, in Central Asia and in Eastern Europe, uh, and that that justifies these military actions. And you have even louder, angrier, more ambitious rhetoric coming from the very substantial uh, Warhawk blogosphere uh, in, in Russia, uh, urging the president, President Putin, to stay the course and, uh, and, and achieve those goals on behalf of the Russian people. Uh, so there, there is a framework. Uh, it's a kind of crazy framework, but there is a framework that would argue against any kind of uh, reconciliation with the West. Uh, and, and and it has serious implications for Putin's ability to hold on to power in his country. And that's one of the parallel narratives going on here. How long can the blatant incompetence of the Russian forces, which, of course, ultimately load right up to uh, Vladimir Putin's doorstep, um, and their inability to uh, effectively attack um, a, a much small, smaller country, or at least to attack in ways that actually lead to sustainable territorial gains. Um, these are humiliating reversals uh, for a leader and for people who do believe in that greater Russian empire. Uh, it's a pretty clear indication that this is not the person who's going to be able to make that dream a reality, even if we stipulate here in the West that it's a crazy reality and nothing that anybody can ever legitimately aspire to achieving. Question, David Birdsell with us. That brings us to China and the president's meeting with Xi in Bali. Uh, David, a couple of weeks ago, you wonder what good came out of it, you know, outside of the fact of Indonesia, you know, getting rid of coal and everything else. I mean, come on. And $20 billion, I might add, into that whole project. Uh, so, in essence, you look at what's going on with China right now with all these protests uh, left and right, the uh, massive restrictions, although let up somewhat now over the last day or so regarding COVID there. And people are turning on Xi, you know? I mean, we're seeing something here that you have seen kind of a seismic shift. Oh, you go back to Tiananmen Square. It was pointed out to me a couple of a couple of days ago, back in 1989. But you are seeing right now, especially in Iran, what's happening in the World Cup stage in Qatar with their national soccer team and everything else, not uh, citing the national anthem. That's a whole other story. But you're looking at something here in China here where, where people are really kind of sounding off, holding up those blank pieces of paper as far as expression, but they can't, so to speak. And you wonder... Uh, uh, of how Xi is kind of going about his business there, third term, just elected. Uh, you wonder if something could be in jeopardy there, but very interesting times right now as far as China and our relationship with them. It's, it's a fascinating time and a very volatile and difficult time. Uh, there's no question uh, that this has been a head-snapping reversal. It was just mid-October. Uh, when President Xi was installed for an unprecedented, since Mao Zedong himself, uh, third term as uh, president and party chair, uh, and apparently planning on keeping that position for life. And then one month later, we find ourselves in this situation. Uh, it, it, you know, taking all the examples together that you just talked about, 10 months ago, 12 months ago, uh, we were all talking about uh, the enormous success of authoritarians in pursuing their goals and the way that they seem to be pasting the West again and again uh, and gaining not only uh, territorially, economically, uh, but appearing to get the upper hand in a variety of areas, 
with their own people in their own countries. Uh, and I always have to put an asterisk here that whatever poll is conducted in Russia, whatever poll is conducted in the People's Republic of China, uh, you have to take worth a grain of salt because people know that their answers are not, in fact, uh, uh, secure and they will be uh, punished for opposing the regime. But all that said, you flip the script completely when you come to the beginning of December in 2022, uh, that the authoritarian regimes are proven to be uh, fragile, uh, to be very seriously challenged when it comes to decision-making, since nobody can offer different, different points of view past a certain phase, um, and that that window of, of actual deliberation has narrowed in China uh, from quite a wide band, and I was able to see this uh, uh, up close and personal during the Hu Jintao uh, regime there in China, uh, and now in the transition uh, to Xi uh, since 2014, uh, narrowing and narrowing and narrowing uh, that available space uh, for conversation. Uh, and the decisions have been poor, one would argue. Uh, the fact that they haven't admitted uh, their need for the um, uh, RNA-based vaccines, um, and, the, and as a result, have a vaccine that's uh, less than 50% as effective as the vaccines in the West, that they have a population now uh, of 1.4 billion people with almost no immunity naturally acquired uh, to the virus, um, and now being confronted with the most contagious forms of the virus that have mutated uh, to a point where we could wind up seeing a death toll in China over the course of these next few months. Uh, that rivals what we saw in the West um, two years ago. So this is this is a perilous moment. But at the same time, uh, China has been very effectively building up its military. And though it doesn't receive a lot of press attention, uh, the national defense strategy is very clear uh, and you know issued even on the the, the the cusp of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, identifies clearly that China is at the center of the U.S. security concerns. Um, the weaponization of islands in the South China Sea, uh, the uh, joint military exercises in that same body of water now with Russian boats alongside them, uh, the very clear interest in capturing economic territory, both in East Africa and throughout the Indian Ocean, uh, these are serious challenges. And there are serious U.S. and allied responses in the AUKUS alliance and other uh, uh, modes of uh, belt tightening and strengthening in that region. Uh, but it's a very volatile time, Jay, and there's a lot that can go wrong with this, uh, and particularly with a wounded President Xi, who may feel the need to make dramatic gestures both to reclaim popular attention and to double down on the nationalism that he has quite consciously built up uh, to a roaring force in that country over the course of his uh, two terms now embarking on the third. No question there, Virgil. Well, there's a couple of minutes remain. Two more things for you, David. Uh, let's go to Trump first. Uh, he was dealt a big defeat uh, regarding yesterday if the appeals court halted the um, uh, special master review of documents seized from his state. And you look at the ruling, and that's a massive obstacle right there as far as removal is concerned to the uh, DOJ's investigation and mishandling of government records uh, from his time in the White House. So, you know, you look at the panel reversing the order that appointed a special master or a third-party attorney, whatever you want to call it, you know, to sort through all these documents found at his home to determine what should be off-limits uh, to investigators. So, uh 
interesting times for Trump. You know, I'll tell you, I was thinking about Herschel Walker coming up to this special election in Georgia. And I think Herschel would say, you know what, Donald, please stay out of the news. It hasn't been good. You know, this from yesterday, having dinner with Kanye or yay uh, and Nick Fuentes, um, the white supremacist who, who didn't believe in the Holocaust. Uh, you know, in essence, you don't want this stuff in the news if you're Herschel Walker, you know. I was thinking about that this morning. But in essence, you know, the announcement running for president 2024 a couple of weeks ago, I just felt the timing was off and everything else. I can only imagine what DeSantis is thinking right now. I just think time is not right for Donald Trump. It really is not. This is not 2015 uh, heading down on that escalator a tower. You know, it's not that time anymore. It really isn't. Time has passed. And I think, you know, people are getting tired of this nonsense right now. And especially, maybe it's just not meant to be for Donald J. Trump in the next couple of years, especially after yesterday. I couldn't agree more. And yesterday's decision was a stinging rebuke of uh, the lower court decision to appoint the special master. And I thought it was interesting just to look at the two major grounds on which that ruling was reversed uh and that i i've rarely seen such a crisp and clear-cut rationale which to be fair many people pointed out at the time because it was an unprecedented uh, legal action but uh grounds number one was that uh this was um that, that the court had no jurisdiction and that there had never been a case where a court at that level was able to prevent an investigation prior to the proffering of any indictments uh, so no jurisdiction and remarkable uh, leaping of uh, judicial authority uh, in that moment. And the other is that she had not only uh, authorized uh, this special master to look at attorney-client privilege issues, which is precedented, uh, not in these circumstances because they didn't have jurisdiction, but in, in, when, when jurisdiction does apply, that is precedented, but totally unprecedented and unsupported anywhere in law is the notion that you can review such materials for protection of executive privilege for an ex-president. Um, so that was a, a remarkable stinging rebuke, and you're absolutely right. At this stage, uh, Donald Trump's legal exposure, on the one hand, uh, his consistent inability to stay within reasonably uh, clear guidelines. In fairness, he hasn't been punished for that before, right? Uh, I mean, we would thought, and many of us did think in 2016, that... Uh, uh, events like the Access Hollywood tape, like the meaning war hero John Kane's record, et cetera, et cetera, that every time there was a bright red line that had been crossed, and it's never come back to Biden. Well, these are coming back to Biden because it is a different time. Uh, people are concerned about different things. And this is an act that requires full-on attention 24-7. That's what he wants, and it does wear thin. I don't think it's a winner starting in 2024. I kind of agree with you. Uh, one final thing here. Joe Biden is doing an awful job, David Birdsell, of trying to impersonate David Copperfield. And I say that regarding making student loans disappear. It doesn't seem to be in the cards, no pun intended. But uh, he got another blow yesterday regarding that program where the Supreme uh, Court uh, announced you be uh the program is blocked at least for now but the justice agreed i guess you're going to hear some oral arguments in the case come february and a decision i guess of finality to come in june uh and again we're talking about folks the twenty thousand or so of debt relief to a lot of borrowers out there 
long list of legal challenges. I just think it's fool's gold here, honestly, David, um, because, you know, these numbers just don't disappear, as the president has kind of stated to the public. It's not happening. It's actually a transfer, when you think about it. It's a transfer of, de- of the debt. It's going to go somewhere else that people are going to pay for later on. I mean, you know, if, if anybody thinks this student loan forgiveness, is, hey, let's have a party, you know, be careful. Be careful. Because right now the courts are uh, giving you everything in creation to say, you know what, ain't happening, folks. So uh, kind no, of fool's gold there. Final comment, sir. I mean, what the Supreme Court refused to do yesterday was to stay the ruling of the lower courts. Uh, as they contemplate their own review of this action. But it's exactly as you say. What the courts are finding consistently is that this is, at base, a spending program achieved through executive action, and that that is illegitimate because the power of the purse is vested with the Congress. Um, and so that, and, and I expect the Supreme Court to come out with a supporting decision uh, come February uh, or whatever time after the February deliberations that they render a judgment in the case. Um, we have a very long and tortured history with trying to figure out ways around uh, student debt in this country. Um, and we've had start-stop uh, programs such as public service loan forgiveness programs, such as the various uh, successful programs such as Pell and uh, Stafford Loans. But it's still the case that if you are getting a loan as an individual uh, to pay for your education, you are paying more for that loan than you would for your auto loan, for your mortgage, uh, for some lower rate credit cards. Uh, And that's true even of government sponsored loans, which is crazy. So there are ways to make this work for people uh, that do not uh, feed the national debt. There are ways to make this work for people, particularly those going forward, that would be fair and just. Uh, And I do just want to point out one thing that is in this uh, student tuition package uh, that the president wishes he could have uh, in effect is that it's not restricted to college loans. But if you went to a trade school, if you learned how to be a welder, if you learned how to be a truck driver, uh, those loans and those costs are also eligible uh, in this program that probably will never come to be uh, for refunding. And that has to be much more clearly understood and much more plainly baked in on basis of equity to make sure that this is basically not a transfer of wealth from workers, uh, from blue-collar workers, to people who uh, go to offices and work in computers for a living. Well, the fine provost of Kane. University, and we will talk soon, I am sure, my friend. You stay well. Have a great weekend, all right?